I'm sorry to disappoint you, Spence. I don't know how to use computers. <laughs> Let nature do the work. It was a wonderful personal account that Bill Gates gave us, and I hope you'll forgive me for being somewhat impersonal, but I want to talk about something that's very precious to me, and that's the discipline of science. These days, science is under attack for many quarters, and we need to be reminded that science is great, but scientists are still people. Uh, we need to be reminded of the distinctions between the extraordinary power of the discipline of science and the fallibility of those of us who practice it. When we look at the feats of human intelligence and achievement, whether it's in the arts or law or religion, they stand out as monumental achievements that endure for the ages, but yet none of these disciplines offer individuals, as science does, the opportunity to contribute to a progressive, a progressive understanding of nature. And when we try to persuade the public to support scientists in their attempts to achieve a more rational and effective understanding of ourselves and of the world about us, we should be clear in distinguishing the uniqueness of science as a practice from the human qualities of ourselves as practitioners. Now, the value of science to citizens everywhere can be made very plain in the foundations and the tools that science has provided and promises for virtually every aspect of civilized life, whether it be industry, medicine, agriculture, or communications. But beyond that, we owe science our understanding of the nature of the universe, the origins of life on Earth, and the intimate kinship we have with our earthly neighbors. Now, while we have few or no scientific solutions to economic problems, or to living at peace with ourselves or with our neighbors, there's no doubt in my mind that in the long term, only a profound grasp of the chemistry of life can offer hope of solving, ultimately, these difficult problems. Now, for scientists, they are not a breed apart. Compared to the scientists of some decades ago, they're generally a hundredfold more numerous, more specialized, more costly. But as people, they're much the same. With the individualities and the frailties that we find in others in all walks of life. At one extreme, there's the intensely entrepreneurial expositor, and at the other, through a spectrum of styles, there's the shy, self effacing loner. But beyond the extreme of acceptable behavior, there's also laxity and negligence, and rarely instances of fraud, which unfortunately receive exaggerated media attention. It's common in these discussions and news reports 
to have these science frauds attributed to some ill in our society or to mismanagement of science. But I recall 40 to 50 years ago that there were such psychopathic cases and they were as frequent as they are now on a per capita basis. Now, as then, the more startling the discovery that's claimed, the more it attracts attention, and if false, the sooner it is exposed. There are bureaucratic procedures being proposed now to detect and expose deviant behavior in science, but such measures will not prevent these rare aberrations and will instead impose a major nuisance and expense on the conduct of science. Now, with regard to the support of science, there's a major flaw. It's the demand that the scientists justify a project on the basis of defined goals. And the more limited the resources of a nation or its agencies for funding science, and that's true in this country today, the more stringent is the requirement that's posed that the research be visibly directed to solve some urgent problem in society. And this philosophy is misguided in a fundamental way. The truly major discoveries that have altered the face of medicine, for example, whether it be x-rays or penicillin or recombinant DNA and genetic engineering, these have all come from a pursuit of curiosity about nature without any relevance to medicine. And the same can be said of great industrial inventions, which were haphazard at the outset and only later recognized for their commercial value. It's often said that necessity is the mother of invention. Quite the contrary. Inventions create necessities. Chester Carlson, who invented xerography, took many, many years before he could interest a company in developing it. And fax machines, well, they were developed 30 years ago, but it took a deteriorated postal service to make them the necessities they are today. So no matter how counterintuitive it may seem to the scientist as well as to the layman, the most sure and effective and cost-effective route to discovery is through the creative activity of a scientist or an inventor rather than the pursuit of some defined goal. You've heard of the difficulty in obtaining research grants lately, and the award of a research grant is fundamentally flawed when it requires that the application chart a path to discoveries that have practical consequences, or at least will reorient some uh, established discipline. And again, this makes no sense whatever. Scientists, as is true of athletes and artists, should be awarded a grant or a contract on the basis of what they've achieved rather than what they promised to do. Scientists working at the frontier of science or creating a new one must rely on intuition, serendipity, and a capacity to move quickly in new directions to exploit findings that emerge from their research or that of others. Let me summarize. 
I'm here to extol the discipline of science, which I find unique among human activities, because the practice of science enables us, as ordinary people, to go about doing generally ordinary things, which, when assembled, reveal the extraordinary intricacies and the awesome beauties of nature. Science not only enables the scientist to contribute to the progress of a grand enterprise, but offers an endless frontier for the exploration of nature. I hope you will join the fraternity of science if it comes your way. Thank you very much. <laughs>